Good morning, fellowship favor. Let's stand together. Stand together and join with creation and sing to our God.
this morning that when we talk about worship, worship is not just a, a form of music that we do. Um, worship is a lifestyle, and a good definition of what I've heard worship to be is seeing God for who he is and responding. Simple, but it's true. Seeing God for who he is, his character, and responding. And so this morning, we have Miss Jeanette with us, and, and what a privilege to hear from her. She's a, she's a painter who's part of our Spectrum ministry, and so as an act of worship this morning, we want to let her share with us uh, a little bit of her story and her painting, so Thank you very much. Yes, my name is Jeanette Hudgens, and I'm a Christ follower, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a grandma, and I'm an artist as well, and um, so I wanted to come and share my painting with you and explain it. It actually is a mixed media piece. Um, it started out just as a watercolor of some beautiful, colorful um, pink tulips. And um, I had looked at it for months and months, and it reminded me at part of my testimony. And so I added some whitewash on it. The hand at the top is the hand of God whitewashing over my painting, and the paintbrush in the, at the bottom is me handing over my paintbrush to the master. And so how this ties into my life is that when my husband and I were married, I started painting this picture of what I thought my family was going to look like, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful painting, just like mine was here. And um, as I prayed for children, God just kept saying no, no. And I call it that I had to walk through the valley of infertility, and um, it was a painful place to walk, and, um, and it wasn't pretty, but it was such a good place because it humbled me, and God walked with me through that, and he just started to show me that he had a plan that was so much better than I could have um, imagined the verses I held on to at that time were out of Jeremiah 29. And it said, he kept saying, Jeanette, I know the plans I have for you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. He wanted me to call upon him and come and pray to him, which I did fervently. And he promised to hear me. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And... So my husband and I, as we walked through this um, valley together, God started to show us that he had another plan, and, um, and that was adoption. And so we call it our um, ad adoption adventure that we walked through. And God blessed us with seven wonderful children, um, Samuel, Michael, Emily, Anna, Abby, Isaac, and Tucker. So much beautiful than I could have imagined what my painting had been. God just blew me out of the water to bless me with these amazing children. So in hindsight, I just want to say, you know, I'm so thankful that God chose me to walk that valley of infertility because on the other side, he had such an amazing, amazing gift and um, a beautiful painting to paint. 
And so I know some of you out there probably are walking through a valley of your own. Maybe it's something in your life that um, you didn't imagine it would be part of your life. Um, but I just want to encourage you that our God loves to paint our lives and make a beautiful masterpiece out of them. And, um, a lot, but we, a lot of times we need to just hand over that control, hand over that paintbrush, let him paint it, trust him, call upon him, seek him. And so that's kind of what my painting um, represented was just kind of that surrender to God and his plan. So I wanna thank you for letting me share my story and my artwork with you, so thank you. A powerful story, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, what a powerful story. Um, something that we've noticed is that art is a, is a way to connect uh, the physical with things that aren't physical. Help us, help us get our minds beyond just what we see uh, and what we can touch and feel. And so if you're a painter in the room, let this be an encouragement to you that, that whatever season you're in, maybe the, your expression of worship in this season is just is to paint something. And then maybe one day you tell the story and it, and it connects and it shares with people. And so we wanna um, fuel that, that flame in you if that's something that you do. Hey, well, I wanna take this moment to pray for Miss Jeanette and her church. So Miss Jeanette goes to Grace Point Church in Bentonville and Fellowship Fayetteville needs healthy churches in our area to reach our city. And so as a body of believers, I want us each to take the next 10 to 15 seconds and just pray for, for Grace Point in their church, that they would be a church that brings people into relationships with Jesus. So do that, and then I'll pray for us out loud, and, and we'll continue with our service. So take a moment and pray for Grace Point. Father, you are good and you are big and you are um, larger than the season that we may be in right now. And so, God, I pray for us in this room that, uh, God, that we would see you and see your character and worship you for who you are in the midst of any season that we're in. God, I do pray for Grace Point. I pray that you would um, create a thriving, healthy church with the leadership there. Lord, would you protect their leadership, protect them from sin? Lord, for their people, would they be people who see others and invite them into relationship with you? Lord, I pray that you would bless that church and that you would protect it. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. And what a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. And what I love about your painting is the, the paintbrush that you say you just, she just laid down and said, okay, God, uh, you paint the picture of my life. And I wanted to introduce y'all somebody else who uh, I think is living his life the same way. This is one of my good friends, Austin, and hey, you've kind of done the same thing, and you're just allowing God to uh, paint the picture for your life, so would you share what's going on? Yeah, uh, so good morning. My name's Austin Kuklinski. I'm uh, originally from Kansas City, Missouri, and I came down to Arkansas to go to school here, um, and it was actually my freshman year of college that I came to know who Jesus Christ was. I had a, an older guy in my fraternity reach out to me, start sharing the gospel with me, and he helped me realize that I was separated from God because of my sin, that I was forgiven from my sin, and that also God was welcoming me into a relationship with him, uh, which I'm extremely thankful for. Uh, as a young believer, I, I tried to take what was important to God and make it important in my life. Um, so I, I started reading my Bible. I, I started learning how to pray. Um, I started learning how to share my faith and even what discipleship even is. Um, 
And I started to see that there's a common theme throughout the Bible that um, God was desiring for his name to be known amongst the entire world, um, which so I, tr I tried making that important in my life. Uh, my sophomore year is when I realized that there are people in the world that, that don't know who Jesus is. There are people in the world that can't come worship like we're, like we're worshiping right now because they don't have believers around them. There, there's people that can't read their Bible every morning like we can um, because they don't have God's word in their language. Um, there's people that don't have the same hope that I was given my freshman year through Jesus because no one's came and told them before. Um, there's, there's three billion people in the world that are considered unreached people groups. So what that means is an unreached people group is where if you take the whole population of that people group, less than 2% of them even know who Jesus is, let alone could walk through like a biblical truth with them. Um, so a lot's happened from then until now. Uh, but what this looks like in my life is um, here next August, I'll be going to receive 10 months of training uh, specifically to plant churches amongst unreached people groups. Um, and this is the plan for my life um, because of nothing that I've done. It, it's the plan for my life just because of Jesus. Um, Jesus has radically transformed my life, um, and he's given me purpose, and he's so worthy um, of giving my life to this. Hey, Austin, you said uh, as you began to read the Bible that you, you started to see God's heart for the nations. And uh, I admit, like, when I, when I became a follower of Christ for years, I would read the Bible and just, like, miss the theme. Is there anything that helped you, like, see that along the way? Yeah, so three years ago, I was able to attend a missions conference for the very first time. It's called NWA for the Nations. It's a, it's a local in-person missions conference that's held here in Fayetteville, um, where it's, it's, also, it's called NWA for the Nations. Groups of churches all in Northwest Arkansas are all partnering together in order to see this conference happen, which is amazing. At this conference, I was able to understand that, that God welcomes all believers into his loving family. And, and not only that, he welcomes all of us into his family business of making disciples of all nations, uh, not just Northwest Arkansas. Um, at this conference, I was able to see that you don't have to be a missionary to play a part in this. There's so much that all believers need to be doing in order to see God's name known amongst all peoples. At this conference, I was able to hear from missionaries from all over the world come and speak. I was able to learn about different cultures, different religions, um, and how we can love on them in specific ways. Um, and I was able to take practical steps um, from this conference uh, in order to start becoming a world Christian in my life. I was able to learn how to pray for the world, how to pray for missionaries and those that are lost around us. I, was a pray I, was, I learned how to be intentional with my finances. Um, I learned how we all need to be welcoming missionaries. We all need to be welcoming international students into our homes, learning from them, loving on them, um, and really just even just being aware of what's going, around, going on around us in the world, um, not just the U.S. Um, as Christians, we have this huge task ahead of us of seeing God's name known amongst all peoples of the earth. Uh, and I believe that this conference is an amazing step, an amazing opportunity in order to, for all of us to learn how we can become uh, a world Christian. Mm -hmm. Hey, we love to invite y'all to join us. It's November 6th and 7th. It's gonna be at the Boys and Girls Club in Fayetteville. We'd love to see you there. Hey, let's pray for Austin. Dear God, I just thank you so much that, uh, that you're just raising up people who are just laying down that paintbrush and saying, God, whatever you'd have me do, my life is yours. And uh, we just pray for these next few months as he prepares to go away and to be trained. Dear God, we pray for the, the place that you're gonna send him. He doesn't even know now. But he's just saying, God, wherever you'd send me, uh, I'm willing to go. And so, God, we pray that you would just surround him with people that are going to support him uh, in this uh, walk of obedience to you. In your name we pray. Amen.
This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. Would you stand with us? Let's sing this out. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here of salvation. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my Savior, am happy 
watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Sing it out, this is my story. This is my story. This is my followers of Jesus Christ have to remember who we belong to because it's when we lose our place of belonging that we start to try to find it other places and it can wreak havoc on our lives and scripture gives us this great illustration of belonging when he talks about sheep and the shepherd and me as a modern reader I have a hard time it's unfamiliar territory I've never been a shepherd and so this, I've read this book by William um, Heller, Keller, William Heller, Keller, Keller, William Keller. Um, it's been really helpful to me, and I'm going to read this quote from this book. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. First of all, I am basically bound to admit that God's ownership of me as a human being is legitimate. Simply because it is he who brought me into being and no one is better able to understand or care for me. And in a second, very real and vital sense, I truly belong to him simply because he has bought me again at the incredible price of his own laid down life and shed blood. And so we see in Psalm 103, we say, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so would you all sing this song with me that reminds us who we belong to. I don't belong to riches, treasures that don't satisfy.
Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Thanks, guys. Man, what a sweet, sweet, sweet time. Uh, my name is Finley Robinson. I'm on staff here, one of the pastors uh, here at Fellowship. And I don't know if anyone here is like me, uh, but I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this time of year. Anybody else? Maybe. Here's, here's what I mean. Uh, there's some things about Fayetteville in the fall that I, I really love. I get to wear clothes that I haven't worn in quite some time. It's fun to pull some stuff 
you know, out of the closet, wear some new clothes. The leaves are changing. It's kind of, it's, it's football season. Like, it's, it's really pretty fun. Uh, what I hate about this time of year is, is the way that the clock and the, the daylight work in conjunction with each other. Uh, I, I get a bit of a, the case of the grumpies this time of year. I don't know if anybody else gets grumpy like me, but uh, I, I struggle because at 8 a.m., it, it could be midnight. It's still so stinking dark outside, and here in a few weeks, uh, we're going to do that whole like terrible reset thing where at 5.30 at night, it's just completely dark, and you're driving home, and you're like, I don't even know where I am. What's going on here? My, I just I get kind of grumpy this time of year. The one redeemable thing about this whole time situation that I have found, however, is this. If you are a person who loves the sunrise, this is your time of year. Because, you know, the sunrise, in order to see the sunrise, it's going to cost you something, right? You're going to have to get out of bed a little earlier. You're going to kind of get to wherever you're going to go in order to see the sunrise. And so, you know, the, the sunrise... Um, here we go, here we go. Different people can kind of experience the sunrise in different ways. You know, if, if you like to run or if you like to, you know, hunt or fish, there's, there's moments, especially this time of year, where you can kind of get out and you get to experience those moments of you were awake when it was dark, but you got to this place on the trail in a deer stand in the river where you get to experience something that is really kind of odd and strange. You see, you find yourself in this moment where it's, it's completely dark, and then you find that the very faintest bit of light is beginning to emerge. And there's this strange thing that happens if you've ever experienced this. I, I like to watch the sunrise at the beach. I, I get up early on vacation. I love to watch the sunrise. It's one of my favorite things. But you, you experience this thing where you kind of go, is it still, it's still night? Are my eyes playing tricks on me? But you begin to watch the light kind of emerge, and you find yourself in that moment, it's called dawn, you find yourself in this very kind of strange reality of it's, it's no longer nighttime, but it's not really day, and you're just in this kind of odd in-between. Paul, at the conclusion of his letter to the Romans, actually uses the same idea to describe the, the spiritual sense, the spiritual nature in which the people of God, the church, finds itself in. This is Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 11 and 12. It says, do this. Understand the present time. It says the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul says, we as the people of God, we as people who are found, as we just sang, belonging to Christ, we find ourselves in this strange in-between time. He says it's, it's, not yet, uh, the, it's not yet day, but the night is nearly over. We're finding ourselves in this time, in this strange in-between. And he says, hey, church, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. And he says, you need to understand this present time. I don't need to probably remind you 2020 has done that for us. But we live in a time that there is some extreme darkness 
and sadness and brokenness in our world, isn't there? Just take a quick step back. Uh, you take a, a quick assessment of, of what all goes around uh, us in this, in this time, in this culture, and you see the way in which people live. You see people pursuing power and influence for their own selfish gain. Uh, people living in this world of comfort or just constant distraction, seeking this always individual freedom that says, you know what? My life is mine. I want to live it the way I choose. And we don't really care how that affects other people. And we live as the church in this strange in-between time where there's this kind of uh, darkness and brokenness around us, and yet we experience and we see glimmers of hope, glimmers of light, this opportunity that we have that is around us. We say, there's something about this life that we get to experience, some of this hope of belonging to Christ, and yet we're in the midst of this darkness as well. And we live in this strange in between. And so Paul, at the end of Romans, as he does at the end of Thessalonians, which we're gonna see in a few minutes, he's always gonna kind of give this charge. Um, he's calling people to action by the time he gets to the end of his letters. And here's what he says in, in relation to this. As the, as the church says, wake up, here's what he says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I don't know about you, but it's a strange way that Paul has chosen to put these two things together. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except this one. How are you supposed to live, church, as you're waking up and find yourself in the strange in-between? It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. It says that when we think of debt, it's something that you have a long-term obligation towards. This is church right now. You have one long-term obligation to love one another. That is what we are here for. That is what we'll be known for. That is what it means to belong to the family of God. And so we're gonna look at this idea in this strange in-between time in which we live. Paul is going to implore us and urge us to have this continuing debt of love loving each other. So grab your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and here's what we're going to see uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about this idea, living a life of uh, loving one another, and how this works as followers of Christ, and how we, as we love other people, is different than the world. The nature of Christian love, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to see first where it comes from. Uh, uniquely, what is this uh, idea of Christian love? Where does it come from? We're going to see what it rejects or what it doesn't look like. And eventually, we're going to see how and who it changes. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verse 9. But just a, kind of a way of reminder of, of where we are kind of in this context. We've been looking at this church. Uh, we've been looking at this church that Paul is writing this letter to. And Thessalonica was one of the, the biggest churches in the region. At one point, it had over 100,000 people um, that, that were a part of this city. And so Paul had gone, had spent some time there, and the, the city of Thessalonica was highly religious. They worshiped Greek gods, Roman gods, Egyptian gods. There were Jewish people there. There was a synagogue that, had been, um, that, that people had, had gathered for. And what Paul is doing is, um, he's writing a letter back to them after he'd been chased out of town. 
So Paul had been there long enough, and the, the message of the gospel had so kind of permeated this town that he had gotten chased out of town, and he's writing this letter back to them. And then he says this. He says, hey, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. Paul is giving him an attaboy. Paul's saying, hey, I want to, to recognize the way in which you have loved each other. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. He's giving them a pat on the back. Here's how this works. Paul is going to use two different words to describe the love that this church has for each other. So he's going to use two different words for love. He says, now about your Philadelphia for each other, we don't need to write to you because you've been taught by God how to agape or agapo each other. So the way in which you love each other is actually coming from something that God has taught you. Uh, this word God taught right here, it's actually a word that some, some commentators think that, that Paul actually invented. It's a word that he kind of made up. It's the only time it's used in scripture. And it says, uh, he uses these two words to teach and uses the word God. And he says, you have experienced something that God alone has taught you. God has, has taught you what this type of love is going to be. And, and I think of it kind of in these terms. If a parent has a small child and they want to teach that child something or how to do something they've never done before, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll kind of come alongside them and, and show them how to do it and even get their hands and body involved. For instance, if a child wants to color or draw for the first time, they probably pick up a pencil and hold it like this. The parent says, no, let me, let me correct you. You're gonna hold it this way and they're gonna put their hands on the pencil then they're gonna put their hand on top of the child's hand and then they begin to draw. If, if a parent wants to teach their child how to swing a bat or a golf club, they're gonna come alongside them and they're gonna put their hands on the bat and they're gonna put their hands on top of it and say, hey, here is how you swing. My favorite was teaching my kids how to use a fishing pole and it's a little more complicated than just a pencil because the, the timing matters. And so you get your son or your daughter and you, you grab the fishing pole and you put their thumb on that release mechanism and then you put your hand on top of theirs and you pull it back and at just the right time, you let go and the fishing line, you know, is cast into the water. And so you ask the question, who actually is it that, that cast the line into the water? Was it the child? Or was it the parent? This is obviously one of those both-and situations. You see, the, the parent's hands on top of the child's enabled the line to be cast into the water. And what Paul is saying here is, you have experienced something of God putting his love upon you so that you then in turn would be able to send your love out to other people. And he uses these two different words. Uh, th this first word, Philadelphia, is um, this sense of, of having this love for blood brothers or sisters. You have to realize, though, who he's talking about is this local church. See, we have families, and this sense of family, in your family, there's a lot of commonalities, there's a lot of shared things in which you find yourself um, having a lot of things in common. You oftentimes look alike. 
You sound alike. You probably enjoy the same food, same hobbies. Families spend so much time together, they, they share the same values. And he's saying there's something unique about this church, about the way in which you love each other. It's as if you're a part of the same family, except you're not bound together by natural blood. You're actually bound together by the blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes in families, uh, we don't always see eye to eye, but they're your family, and so you stick with it. And they're your family, and so you, you find a way to work it out, but sometimes you don't have to do that with people who are not in your family. He's saying that's not the case. He's saying the way in which you love people who are not like you is born out of the fact that God has loved you for who you are. You just take a quick look at our church. We have a lot of different people. And as long as we uh, agree upon who Jesus is, we have people from all shapes, sizes, and kinds, different backgrounds. That's what makes this group of people, this church, so unique is that we have one thing in common, our faith in God. Because what we have experienced is this, uh, what we have experienced is the fact that God has loved us in such a way, this agape love that is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional. It, it, it persists no matter the circumstances. And Paul says, this love that you are to experience in this strange in-between time that we are living in as we're awaiting the return of Christ, it says, you are to love people who are often unlike you in such a way that reflects this selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, persist, no matter the circumstances, total commitment to each other kind of way. So Paul recognizes that this is a church that is gonna do something remarkable because God has placed his hands on the hearts of his people and said, this is what I bestow upon you. This is the love that I have for you. And then listen to how they are described. About you, I don't have to need to write because you yourselves have been taught by God. In fact, you do love all, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. This church was known for the way in which they love other people, the way in which they love the believers in Jesus Christ throughout all of Macedonia. Now, I'm assuming most of you are not familiar, you haven't brushed up on your kind of Greek history and the size of Macedonia. I did the work for you. Um, Macedonia at this time was around 25,000 square miles, roughly half the size of the state of Arkansas. This church was known for loving the believers throughout half of the entire size of what would be this state. All different kinds of people from different cities and different towns and different regions, they were known for the way in which they loved others. What if that was said of us? What if that was said of us as a church? I tell you what, man, that church... Those people, Fellowship Bible Church, man, they love people who are like them and who are unlike them, and everybody knows it. What if that was said of us? See, it's easy 
It's easy to love people who are like you. It's much more difficult to love those who aren't. And yet this church was known throughout all Macedonia for the way in which they loved each other because they have experienced something. I belong to Christ. They've experienced something that God has done in them and through them. And so it was now making its way out into the lives of other people in their church. And so... Uh, Tim Keller said when he was kind of writing about this idea, talking about people within the church and how it works, you might be like me. Uh, You might be like me that that finds it easy to love people that are easy to love and finds it uh, much more um, possible to love people who are like me, but this true love that we're talking about. Tim Keller says, love born of God's grace finds a way. This unconditional, sacrificial, persists no matter the circumstances kind of love that God has shown us, this grace that we have been given, love born of God's grace, finds a way. You know why? Because it's God working through you. It's God working through me. It's God working through us as a church to extend that type of loving obligation that we have day in and day out. Paul says, Paul says, we want to urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. He says, Paul has has moved at this time, uh, the, the beginning of his letter, he was kind of giving his apologetic, he was giving his defense of the gospel And now he's moved here in this section. He's going to call them to action. He's making his appeal. He says, I know that you have shown great love, but I'm gonna urge you, implore you, exhort you, church, young church, new in the gospel, to do this more and more. And so how does this look? It's interesting. He kind of makes this turn. Uh, What what Paul does at this point, he says, if you are going to have this life of extended love, if you are going to set up your life in such a way that you have as a party this continuing debt to, to love other people, there's some things that you have to look out for. There's some things that you need to be aware of that are going to get in the way of a life of love that is pleasing to God. And he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I find it interesting that he put those two words together. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I, I was kind of raised with this kind of sense of ambition. You know, Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas has a high degree of ambition. We, we, we like the entrepreneurial spirit around here. Uh, a lot of people want to kind of move up in their jobs and, and kind of climb that vendor ladder. We love our sports. We want our kids to do well and to get scholarships, and we want our, our college athletes to get professional contracts. There's this kind of ambition and longing, this desire that we have, and yet he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. It's like, what does that mean? I'm, I'm leaning on my friend Steve Graves with regards to this one. You know Steve, he's kind of a big deal around here. 
Steve was we were talking kind of, he was writing about this idea and the idea of having an ambition to lead a quiet life in response of having this priority of love for other people. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if we are called to live a quiet life that we're supposed to, to move out into the woods and just find the quiet all the time, to reduce all the noise and kind of the sounds of our life. It doesn't mean that we have to change our personality. What Steve said was, Paul had something in mind here. He says, bring calm instead of chaos. When you're leading a quiet life, you're bringing calm instead of chaos. You're bringing value instead of drama. When people look at the life of someone who is, who is living a quiet life in Christ, it's someone who is internally settled and externally focused. It's someone who has, has wrestled through, as we saying, like, I belong to Christ. And all of the other things and distractions of this world, I've, I've, I've done away with that. My priorities are set. And so it says, make it your ambition to leave a non-chaotic, a settled, quiet life. Your priorities are defined. I am committed to loving people in the way that God has loved me. It also rejects this other idea that, the, that, that we should um, be people uh, who, who find ourselves uh, so caught up in the way in which we're, we're waiting the return of Christ. It was interesting what he said. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Uh, what the Thessalonians were, were possibly being accused of is they were so focused on the fact that they were waiting the imminent return of Jesus that they quit working. They quit working all together. And so they found themselves just kind of waiting for Jesus to return. He says, no, that's not what you do either. We don't live in these extremes. What instead you're supposed to do is be people whose priorities are set on Jesus and you go about your daily life and you love people in a significant and impactful way. Uh, I, was, I was thinking kind of how this worked uh, an example of what I would kind of think that this might be. And when my kids were little, uh, we watched Pixar, like all families with little kids do. And The Incredibles was a movie that came out when my kids were little. And there were five people in this kind of superhero family, and we're a family of five, and, you know, you got this boy who could run fast, and my son was young and fast, and we just kind of loved this movie. And we kind of wanted to be superheroes, let's be honest. And uh, there's a scene in this movie where Mr. Incredible goes to his uh, tailor, right? There's the lady who, like, fixes all of the superheroes' suits. He had a tear in his suit. And he goes to her and says, hey, will you fix up my suit, please? And she goes, no, I'm not going to fix your suit. I'm actually going to give you a new suit. He goes, no, I don't need a new suit. She goes, I'm going to make you a new suit. He goes, great. I've always wanted a new suit. In particular, when you make me a new suit, can you make sure that it has a cape? Because all my favorite friends, all of my favorite superheroes, they always had a cape. And his tailor looks at him and definitively says, no capes. No capes. 
And he, he's, he's beside himself. He goes, but, but the cape, but, but the cape is the coolest part. She says, yes, the cape is the coolest part, but the cape gets in the way of what you're trying to do. The cape, in fact, is the thing that it gets in the way. All these superheroes, she gives this example of all these superheroes that met their untimely like death and demise simply because they had a cape. And if you think about it, go with me here. What's the purpose of a superhero actually wearing a cape? Does it serve a function? Not at all. It's just for show. The cape is just for show, and it brings more attention to the superhero when they're doing their thing. Inside of myself, one, I wish I was a superhero, but two, I just want to wear the cape. I just want to go about my life with some of the recognition that says, hey, Finley, look at what you did. All good things, but I still want it to be about me. And she said, no capes. She says, you get to be super, but in secret. We get to live lives of incredible love for people in a quiet way. We don't go about it in such a way that it brings attention to us. But instead, what we're doing is we're people who are living a life of love for others who are like us and who are not, born out of the love that God has for us in such a way that he gets the attention and the glory. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And here's why. Here's how it finally plays out. It says, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It says that you will live your life in such a way that there is going to be this expanding effect of a life of love that starts small and continues to grow and increase from there. There's a story in Luke where Jesus was with a whole bunch of people. And all the people had kind of gathered around. It says that the people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the surrounding areas had seen the miracles that Jesus was doing, and so they'd come to kind of see what was going on. And Jesus was in this house, and it was packed full of people and people all around. And there was a group of friends who had another friend who was in need. And they wanted to bring their friend to meet Jesus. And so what they did is they loaded him up on a mat because their friend was paralyzed. And they went to this house where Jesus was, and they wanted to figure out a way to get their, their, their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, but they couldn't figure out a way. You know the story? And so they climbed up on the roof, and they removed, they removed the, the roof tiles, and they lowered their friend down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus stood there and saw the faith of the friends and the needs of this man, and before all the people, the large crowds of people that had gathered around, he looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. And people began to question, why, who is this man and why would he say your sins are forgiven? And Jesus said, well, this is the more important thing, actually. 
that his sins be forgiven. But in order to give him what he needs in this moment, he told him to get up and to walk. And it says that all the people, all the crowds, everyone who had gathered in that place were in awe. But that story doesn't happen unless those friends load up their friend on the mat and take him and lay him at the feet of Jesus. Love born of God's grace finds a way. And so this morning, here's what I want us to believe. That if we are a church, every man, woman, and child, who believes that an ordinary life of extravagant love can change the world, that in fact will happen. And so as a church, as we we look around us, it can take uh, shape in a whole bunch of different ways, some small, some big, but there are people who need a tangible expression of the love of God, and you are gonna be the one to make that happen. There's someone who just needs you to sit down and to listen to them. There's someone who's living by themselves and you just need to go pay them a visit. There's a a young mom who just needs to be told, you're gonna make it. There's someone who needs you to loan them some money. There's someone who needs you to come alongside them and, and speak the truths of God's word into their heart. There's someone that you need to pray for because they're going through a difficult time in their home. There's someone who needs to experience the agape, unconditional, no matter the circumstances kind of love. And you are the people, we are the church to do that. But here's the truth. Sometimes we get to be the friends that carry others and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes we're the person on the mat. And we need to let other people love us in that same way and take us and remind us of what it means to be in the presence of Christ. And this is what the church of God looks like as we go back and forth between taking people to Jesus and sometimes being carried ourselves. And it's an ordinary life of costly, extravagant love this long-term obligation that we have to each other. And when we get taken and take people to the feet of Jesus, everyone looks around and says that. Those are people who belong to Christ. Those are the people I want to be a part of that. And that is what in turn changes the world. So fellowship, may we be a people committed to that, changed by that. Paul urges us to live an ordinary life of extravagant love that the world might be changed. Let me pray. God, we thank you that in your son we have found a family and a home. God, it is not easy. We need grace and forgiveness. And God, may this unconditional love that you have for us flow through our hearts, into our hands, and practically into the lives of other people. And may we be a church known 
for that. May it not be about us because it's all about you. In Christ's name we pray.
our prayer this week, fellowship, as we go, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus who love those around us. May this world know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for each other. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray with you in our prayer room to my left, to your right. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.